Well, good morning again. This morning we are starting our new um, sermon series. We're going to four weeks of Advent series um, as we as we draw near to Christmas. And as I think about this this morning, we are talking about this fairly familiar passage from vantage point of Gabriel. Basically, you know, as as we see how the Lord comes to his people, the Lord draws near to his people. Now, I wanted to kind of start by, you know, asking us, you know, as we think about, as we approach Christmas, as we come to this season of life, you know, it's, what, what is something that we long for? You know, what is our longing during this period of time? Now, I know that for, for children, it's unavoidable, as we think about most of our kids probably will be telling us the kind of gifts they've been longing for in this Christmas period, you know, and my kids have obviously come to me and told me about that too, and, and it felt like they're constantly changing their minds all the time, but, but the point is that, you know, they all have longings, they all have things that they want, and I think for adults, you know, a lot of times we too have longings. You know, perhaps this year has been really hard for some of you, and you're looking for, you're longing for a change in your circumstances, like your job situation, you know, you're looking for a new challenge in your job. Or perhaps you have some health challenges this year and you're looking for things to get better. And so we come to God with all our situations in our lives. We come to him, we bring before him our petitions. And, you know, a lot of times these can be valid surface-level desires. But I want to invite you to go a little deeper as we begin this Advent series as we look at Advent, I want to invite you to go a little deeper with God this season. You know, God certainly can and does fulfill our longings and desires for change. He does fulfill our, our surface level's desires, but what he does ultimately is to fulfill our deepest longing in our existence. He knows our heart's are often restless because we're constantly searching for things. We're constantly th- uh, wanting different things. We're constantly looking for fulfillment, recognition, meaning, pleasure, and hope. But a lot of times we're looking for all these things in the wrong places. We search after different things in all the wrong places. And for some of us, we you know, do this continuously, and so our hearts generally become restless. Because we're never satisfied, we're never happy. You know, we are never fulfilled. We can never really find the true meaning of our lives. And some of you have been running away from God for a long time, you know, or may live your life as if God is not present, right? But I want you to know that that God is not far from you. And it may seem that way sometimes, but God is never far from you. He's always waiting, he is always there, and sometimes he comes after you, because ultimately he wants to draw near to you. It is his intention to be with his people. And so we come to this passage this morning, this very familiar passage, you know, we've read this many times every season of Christmas, you know, we are familiar with this passage, but I want you to see in this passage how 
the Lord comes to his people. And so as we look at this, you know, we wanted to, I want to um, help you to understand this passage by looking at three questions here. We're going to ask the why question, right? And then we're going to ask the what and the how. So why? Why Why did God draw near to his people? Right, when we think about angels, someone like Gabriel, right? Sometimes we have this wrong perspective that, that you know, angels are like this cute little beings flying around at halo and bow and arrow, right? You know, angels are like Cupid. But, but according to the Bible, angels do not resemble Cupid in any way. You know, they are mighty and powerful angelic beings and beings that do battles against demonic forces. And that's why every time when angels appear before the people, you know, you, you think about their response. It's not like, oh, how cute you are. No, it's like, get away from me. You know, this is scary. This is fearful. The people tremble every time when an angel appears. And Jesus himself said that, that you know, these angelic beings are numerous because he said that he could command a legion of them to do battles whenever he wanted. And also angels have, have hierarchies. You know, they have the uh, different hierarchies of, of, of responsibilities based on how they serve the Lord. And ultimately we have the archangel Michael who is the leader of them all. And angels also are beings where they carry specific message. They're called angels because they are messenger from God. Or at the same time, they carry out the plans of God, like Michael does. And so we see from the Bible, when angels appear before people, you know, we've seen in numerous occasions and instances that whenever they come before the people, the people are afraid. And also when you see angels coming before people, most of the times, they are not named except for probably two, two uh, angels that are named in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. And this morning, we're going to talk about, a bit about Gabriel. You know, while Gabriel have perhaps appeared many times in the Bible within the Old and the New Testament, yet his name was only mentioned three times, three encounters with the people. And these encounters, you know, are important because they are all related and so you see Gabriel, and in, in this angel Gabriel, when he appears before people, he was first mentioned, not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. You know, his name was first mentioned in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 8 and 9 both recorded Gabriel appearing before Daniel, who at this point in his life, living in Babylon in exile to serve the king. You know, God has brought punishment to Israel for their sins by destroying the city from, from foreign kings. And yet in the midst of this tragedy, you know, God was teaching the people and us, you know, what it's like to live by faith in exile. So he exiled a bunch of people like Daniel and his friends to Babylon, and they had to live in exile. They had to live uh, under, under the ruling of this foreign king, at the same time, you know, it was in this period that Daniel persevered in his faith and learned to trust God despite being in a hostile environment. 
And what happens there? Uh, God blessed him. And God made him, uh, God gave him an important voice, a powerful voice in Babylon. Now, as you may recall, Daniel had many visions. You know, God gave him visions about the future. And it was in one of his visions that, that Gabriel appeared to Daniel in chapter 8 to explain the meaning of it. And then in Daniel chapter 9, Gabriel came to Daniel again to give him further insights and understanding by pointing him to the anointed one. The Messiah will come for his people. Gabriel came to Daniel to bring a message of hope for the future of Israel, for the future of the people. Now, yes, Daniel and his friends and many of the Israelites continue to live in bondage. You know, yes, many of them continue to suffer many things. And yes, things will really go bad before something good happens. But Gabriel's message promises hope that the Messiah will come in the future to secure our hope for eternity. And think about it, all the prophets and the people of the Old Testament have only fragments of the promises of God. They don't have the Bible where, where they're able to read all the accounts of God's promises and how they've been fulfilled. No, they were living, they were clinging by fragments of promises of God. They're called to put their faith on something that they will never live to see. And it's incredible. Think about that. They were clinging on to that. And so Gabriel came to Daniel to offer this message of hope that there is an anointed one coming. The Messiah is coming. And then, of course, when you fast forward later to the New Testament, we see now Gabriel coming to both Zechariah and Mary to fulfill this promise of God. So in the next two appearances of Gabriel, <clears throat> they are mentioned in a passage today. And you think about it, between the ending of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament, there was a period of 400 years. And this is, in this intertestamental period of 400 years, there was silence. It was known as the 400 years of silence. And what does it mean? It means that in this 400 years, not a lot has happened. The Bible doesn't say a lot about what has happened. But if you have read history, if you know a bit about history, you know that during this period of time, many things happened. Many conquerors came. Many conquerors were ruling the world. Uh, one prominent conqueror, whom you know by Alexander the Great, came during this period of time. And so, while the Bible does not say a lot during this 400 years period, yet history does say a lot about it, does tell us a lot about what has happened to Israel. They continue to live under different rulings, under different conquerors. They were, they were uh, conquered over and over again by different people. And so this was a period of darkness, of silence. Because not only do they suffer, but they also felt like during this 400, period, 400 years period, God has not been talking to them. Why? Because there were no prophets. There were raised. You know, there were no people of God. There was no scripture that was written. So it felt like a curse for them. It felt like God has abandoned them. It felt like nothing has changed. You know, they were waiting and waiting and waiting. I don't know if you are a patient person or not, but um, for me, 
you know, the past three weeks was, was a pretty challenging period because I, I had no idea what had happened, but I had this eye injury that, that causes my eyelid to close, one of my eyelids to close, and it's still not fully open. But you know, for three weeks, I live in this uh, constant state of, of having an eyelid closed, having trouble seeing, having um, pain and pressure in the eye. And I'm wondering, like, when is this going to get better? You know, when is this going to get better? What is going on? I want answers. Why is nothing happening? This three weeks was, was hard. But you think about 400 years. 400 years when there's no communication, what seemed to be no communication from God. And that's what the people felt like. They were living in this 400 pe- period of silence felt like a curse. And Malachi, who was the last prophet in the Old Testament, wrote in the final chapter of the book, you know, he said, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will stubble, will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So Malachi spoke about this period of hardships and suffering that is coming for the Israelites. It may feel like God has abandoned them, especially with judgment and prolonged silence, but that is not the case because Malachi also wrote with hope. Now he said that, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. After the period of 400 years of darkness and silence, the son of righteousness shall rise as God will once again revisit his people. And so he sends Gabriel to come to deliver this ultimate message of hope that will change the outcome of the world. You know, the prolonged darkness of despair and hopelessness was about to experience the sunrise of hope. And this is why God sent Gabriel to speak to his people because he is still with them. He has not abandoned them. The Lord draws near to his people even when they felt perhaps that he has abandoned them. But in actual fact, he has not. He is still with them. And so then we turn to the what. What is this message? You know, Gabriel first appeared to Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was just a simple simple ordinary priest among the many in Jerusalem. And he was chosen to give, he was chosen with the responsibility to go into the temple to perform his duties. However, Luke does recognize that both Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, his wife, exhibit characters that are commendable. They are both God-fearers. They love God and are righteous before him because they obey the commandments of God. But yet, for some within the culture, they may not agree with this assessment because Elizabeth was barren. Elizabeth is without child, and barrenness carries a moral stigma in those times because it's often seen as God's judgment on his people. How can you say that she is righteous when she's barren? That's what the people think. But so, as Zechariah, you know, the priest enters the temple to offer incense and prayer. Little did he know that his life was about to change. 
you know, out of the pride and excitement of this priest being able to serve God, entering to the temple to perform his duties, suddenly he was captivated. He was, he was crippled by this moment of great fear because Gabriel appeared before him. And Gabriel's first word before he delivers his message is to comfort Zechariah. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. And then Gabriel said, your prayers have been heard. Now, if you're Zechariah, can you imagine what is going on in your mind you know, when you hear this? Which prayer? What, what prayer are you talking about? You know, commentators have speculated as to what was specifically Zechariah's prayer that led to Gabriel's pronouncement. Right? Was he praying for his son? Was he praying for Israel? Or was he praying for both? We don't know for sure, but what is clear is that the passage tells us that God knows Zechariah's prayer, and God has answered it. God knew Zechariah and Elizabeth were stricken, were stricken with despair at their current predicament. They have perhaps prayed regularly for a son and have waited with great longings, but every passing moment only led to further grief and sadness, especially now that they are both advancing in age. And God saw their hurt, and God answered their prayer with the son. As Gabriel said that this son would turn their sadness will bring, by bringing gladness and joy to them and also the people around them. You know, God in his grace has turned their mourning into joy. He has answered their prayers even if it took longer than expected because God is able to do great things, things that are medically impossible and things that we consider as miraculous. But here's the thing, there's more to this encounter you know, God not only answered the prayer of, of Zechariah and, and Elizabeth with a son, but there's more to it. God also knew that Israel has lived in exile for far too long. Even though at the end of, of the Old Testament, um, you know, the people are allowed to return back to their homeland, but yet they never lived as though as they were free because they had different conquerors and different um, rulers and kings ruling over them. And perhaps this is, has led to Zechariah and many of the priests to continuously praying for the salvation of Israel. You know, God knew these people are lost. They are like a wandering sheep without a shepherd, desperately needing someone to lead and guide them. And so God not only gave Zechariah and Elizabeth a long-awaited son, but also a son that would do great things for Israel. John, the long-awaited son, will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And you see here, this is a monumental declaration from Gabriel. This is an important declaration, one that Zechariah and many of the priests are familiar because this is directly taken out of the book of Malachi. 
You know, not only did, did Malachi prophesy that days will be dark, but he also prophesied that light will come, particularly to the anointed one, the Messiah. But before Jesus comes, Malachi prophesied that God will send a great prophet, a prophet with the spirit of Elijah. You know, Malachi 4, chapter 4, verse 5 to 6 said, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And you will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So you think about this. This announcement from Gabriel was taken directly from Malachi and Zechariah and all these other priests knew about this prophecy. And so can you imagine what is going through their mind, the excitement? Or perhaps this this you know, fulfillment that finally something is about to change. You know, 400 years have passed and God was silent because there was no prophet to speak and to lead his people. But now things are about to change because God is raising up a new prophet. God is raising up John the Baptist and he comes as a forerunner for Christ, one who prepares the way for the anointed one. And this is the good news that Gabriel brings. Good news not only for the stricken like Zechariah and Elizabeth, but also good news of hope for the lost like the nation of Israel. But this good news does not end here. You know, we see another encounter of, of Gabriel. You know, this good news is like a musical piece. You think about a musical piece. What makes a good musical piece is that there's a progression, right? That, you know, it starts slow, it starts you know, with this anticipation, and then it climax to a crescendo. And so this good news is like a musical piece building up to a crescendo, to a climax, because Gabriel will once again bring good news. This time he comes to bring the ultimate good news to the world because the fate of the world is at stake. This time he comes to the unlikeliest person, Mary, and Mary was among the lowly, for she was a woman, right? And she is, and she is fairly young and poor, living in a small part of the country. There's nothing great about Mary, nothing, nothing spectacular about her life. She does not have status. She, she is purely a woman, and, and it's not, and in those days, women are not necessarily someone that, that you look up to very much. They, she doesn't have a lot of stature in there. And yet God comes to Mary, a nobody. And so you see here, God has come to the despair. He has come to the lost, and now he comes to the lowly. And this shouldn't come as a surprise for many of us. This shouldn't have come as a surprise for many of us because when you understand the gospel story, God coming to the lowly exemplify who Christ is. And what his ministry is all about. For you see, from his birth to his death on a cross, Jesus lived in poverty and served with humility, identifying with the lowly so that they will look to him with hope. And so as Gabriel appeared before Mary, he told her, do not be afraid. Again, do not be afraid because the Lord has found favor in you. God has shown grace through Mary and in his grace, Mary will bear a son, Jesus, and he will be great 
and he will be called a son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and over his kingdom there will be no end. So you see the ultimate good news that God comes to bring started with, with John the Baptist, but ends in Jesus. For Jesus is the ultimate Savior that the world needs. For he will be born, and he will come to establish his kingdom for his people so that they will live under his reign and experience freedom and life. And this is the message of God. The Lord draws near to his people. The Lord understood that the people have suffered, have lived for a long time in this darkness. And now he has come to bring this good news. And so when we think about all of this, we come to a final question. How? You know, how do you respond to something like this? How does one respond to the good news that comes from God? Now, we have all heard and read about it. We've understood this passage very well. Now, we've been reminded of this beautiful gospel story every year during this time of the year. But what good is the good news if we do not respond to it or if we do not respond to it correctly? You know, you think about this, the good news is not a good news if we do not first of all recognize that there's bad news, right? If there's no bad news, there's no good news because it's just news. But the fact that the angels say that this is good news should tell us that there is this bad news that is looming over us, looming over the people. You know, Ken Hughes in his commentary said, as we think about this good news and how it is announced to the world, we must accept the essential spiritual fact of the incarnation and the gospel that the Lord comes to needy people, to those who realize that without him they cannot make it, to those who acknowledge their weakness and spiritual lack. You know, you think about this, we, we have this narrative today where people are quick to point out their identity or to their choice of lifestyle, or whatever it may be. You know, they will point out to that identity, this lifestyle that they have, by saying things like, you know, this is who I am, this is how I'm born. So you must accept me because this is how I am. They're not necessarily wrong. They're not necessarily wrong. This is what the Bible, this is what the Bible tells us too. Yeah. There is, you are born this way because you are born with sin. You know, we are all people born with sin. We have a problem in us. But you do not have to remain in sin. That is the good news that Jesus comes to bring. Yes, you may be born to a certain dispensation. You know, I'm an angry person. You know, I'm, I gravitate to this particular sin. Yes, that is all true. But yet, Jesus has come to offer hope and salvation. You know, think about this. If you are sick, you long for a cure. You want a cure. But sometimes, you know, I feel like we're numb to our, our sicknesses. And so the, we, we don't see the need for a cure. And that is what a lot of people feel. That's where they are. Or sometimes they don't see that I'm actually sick. You know, I'm okay. 
But the Bible, contrary to what, what we think, the Bible tells us that we are sick, that we have a problem. We are born with sin. We are a needy people who lives under the bondage of sin, and we are unable to change our circumstances despite of our best effort. We all have a problems that we can't shed easily. We may sometimes ignore it. We may sometimes live with it, you know, and, and excuse it. Or sometimes we may try to try our best to make up for it. But Jesus offers a better way. He gives us a cure. And this is our predicament that without the Lord's intervention, we are completely lost. We are completely hopeless. Like the people of, of, of the Old Testament, like the people in the time of Zechariah and Mary, like the people today. Without the Lord's intervention, we are without hope. But yet, the Lord has intervened. He has brought us good news that we don't have to live this way. You know, we don't have to be subjected to the bondage of sin. He has offered us Jesus for our sins, so we recognize our predicament. This is how we respond, first of all. We recognize. The Lord has called us, has given us the good news, and he asks us to recognize, take it, accept it. Yes, you, are, you, are, you, you may do certain things, you may gravitate to certain things, you may choose a certain lifestyle, but you do not always have to live that way. Because the Lord has come to change all of that. You may find frustration living in sin, but that is not necessarily the case because the Lord has come to change all of that. And so when we realize our predicament, first of all, then the Lord calls us to respond in faith by receiving this good news. Recognize and take and receive. You know, faith is an important component in Christianity. We see from our passage today, you know, two responses from two different people at the good news from Gabriel. You know, Luke could have easily shortened the book and simply removed the responses of Zechariah and Mary, but he didn't because there's a lesson of faith we can learn from it. And the contrast of response from Zechariah and Mary shows us who got it and who didn't. You, know, you think about Zechariah was a priest of God, one with more knowledge, more stature in the eyes of the people. Yet when presented with the good news of God, he doubted and didn't believe in the promise of God. He didn't think God has the power to do what was promised. And so what, what was his response? He wanted another sign from God. And so his response led to a temporary judgment from God. But Mary, on the other hand, when presented with the news, though she had questions, but her questions wasn't out of unbelief. You know, you think about Zechariah's response. They are quite similar, but there's a nuance there that I want you to see. You know, when, when both Gabriel presented the good news to Zechariah and Mary, look at Zechariah's response. He said, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? His response was selfish. He wanted another sign. Whereas Mary asked, how will this be? She believed but wanted to know how it will happen. She wasn't asking for herself. She wasn't directing it to herself, but she was asking how will this transpire? And she responded with this profound pro 
proclamation later on. It says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the Bible recognizes her faith and commended her as we see later from the mouth of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth said, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed in the fruit of your womb. So Mary trusted God for his word despite the impossible. And can you imagine, you know, put yourself in, in her shoe, can you imagine the pressure of this young girl? Mary at that time is probably 14 years old. And she has seen Gabriel and received this announcement from Gabriel that she will be pregnant with a savior. Can you imagine the pressure for this young girl? She was willing to give up her reputation you know, as, as a pregnant woman without being married, right? She's about to give up her reputation, and then she's also about to endure physical pain of childbirth for a 14-year-old, 15-year-old. And she's about to live in poverty, which she has been. And of course, as you know the story further too, she lives in exile because at the pronouncement of, of Jesus' birth, you know, Herod wanted Jesus to be killed. And so they had to run for their lives. And per perhaps, you know, the biggest pain for Mary too is to endure and to see the death of her son on the cross. And you think about what, she's willing to give up or what she's willing to endure. Think about her faith of her response to this promise. And so my friends, this is what faith looks like. You know, God calls us when, when he brings us good news, he calls us to respond in faith. Take hold of this promise from Christ as your savior and king and learn to submit your hearts to him. You know, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Essentially, Mary is, is recognizing, God, you are my hope. You know, I believe, I trust. Whatever you say, I will do. That is what faith is. Let God rule over your sin as your savior and let him also rule over your life as your king, over your family, over your work, over your suffering over your success. He has not failed his people because he has done the hardest thing for you by sending his son Jesus for you, by sending his Je son Jesus to die for your sins. So he asks you now to come to him, to respond to him, being presented with this good news, to respond in recognition, to respond in faith. You know, he longs for your heart to look to him, to turn to him. You know, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary, all who are restless, restless, all who are running around in this world, seeking for all the trinkets of this world, running after all the different pleasures, running after all the fame. He's calling a people who are weary, who are tired of these things to come to him. And he will give you Rest, the ultimate rest. It's not just rest from your physical weariness. Rest from your spiritual restlessness that you do not have to run after all these things anymore because I will come to satisfy you. I am near you despite of all your pain and problems. I am there for you. How do I know that? Because I have died for you. I've died for your sins. 
I've given up my life for you. Would you look to God this season of Christmas? Would you look to him? Would you long for this change, for this heart for him? Let's pray. Only Father, I pray as we come to this familiar passage from, <coughs> from the gospel. Lord, we are all familiar by this birth, by this uh, pronouncement of good news. And yet sometimes, Lord, when we when I think about good news, they are merely news to us because we, first of all, perhaps do not recognize our own, own depravity or, or do not recognize that there is a looming bad news in our hearts. Or perhaps we're numb by all our surroundings and we have not been able to, to respond properly to your good news. I pray, Lord, for this period and this season Lord, that you would change our hearts, that you cause our hearts to respond in faith. You cause our heart to respond in recognition and, and, and respond in faith and belief. To know that, Lord, you have sent your son Jesus to be our savior and to be our king. That he has died for us and that he has come to establish his kingdom for us, to rule over us, to rule over our lives, to rule over what we do each day. Lord, help us to surrender, you know, and to let him take hold of our lives, take hold of, of the wheel. Lord, I pray that we will turn to him despite of our struggles, despite of, our, of what, a, what we feel as, as, as silence, what we feel as um, a period of, of just darkness. We pray that we will continue to turn to him Lord, despite of how we feel sometimes. And I also pray too, Lord, that even as we do remain where we are, I pray that you would also draw near to us, Lord, that you will come to us because you have and you continue to do so. I pray that you will, you will come to us, that you will assure us that you are not far from us, that you assure us that you are with us. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.